listener. Kick Bump acknowledges the traditional owners and custodians of the land in which we're recording this podcast, the Yulukut Wollum clan of the Boon Wurrung, who are part of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respect to their elders, past and present, and extend our respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. Welcome to the Kick Bump Podcast, your fortnightly DNM on all things motherhood. One, two, three, four. Hi guys, welcome to officially the last kick bump episode for 2023. Don't worry, not forever. (laughs) Back in your ears with fresh kick bump episodes next year. But today's topic is a really important one. And before I get into it though, as always, gotta have a Harvey update. And my, my, my. (laughs) The last we heard, Steph, he just got his new bed. He wasn't (laughs) sleeping very well, but he seemed to be warming up to the idea of a big boy bed. Yeah, he's kind of nothing's really changed to be honest, Lindsay. He's he look look he's he's doing all right. He surprised us in his transition to the big boy bed. Um, in that I thought it meant there was going to be many nights that was like multiple wake ups during the night and getting out. What we have done, which has helped, which a few parents have kind of seen in some of my stories and then written in. So I do want to give it as a tip in case you were doing the same thing. Um, we've put a baby gate on the mm-hmm. the way his door shuts. There's still room for a baby gate on the outside of his door. So what we've done is we've put a baby gate there so that if he's waking up super early or if he is waking up in the night, um, he can open the door, but he still can't get out of his room. Mm-hmm. Now, it kind of sounds a bit like we're trapping him up there, <laughs> but it's not for us. It's not just like stopping him from like coming down and seeing us. That's not really what it's about. His room's upstairs. Mm-hmm. And for me, my worst nightmare mm-hmm. is him waking up in the middle of the night, a bit sleepy and then walking down the stairs and falling down. Um, so we've done that. But um, yeah, a lot of people have asked, you know, about it because they've done the transition, but their kids just like constantly getting out mm-hmm. of the room. And so maybe it's something that you could try. Um, but it's been quite funny. Like even the other day, he woke up from a nap and it was a pretty decent nap but he walked out of his bed shuffled in his little sleep suit because we're, we're sleeping him in a sleep suit still but it's a really really thin one mm-hmm. so parents would know the maths that goes on in your head to try and work out the perfect temperature that your baby and your toddler is going to sleep in and what sleep suit and what pajamas to dress them in versus what the heater might be on or what the weather is doing outside, it honestly eats you up inside. Um, He's still in a sleep suit purely because when we first transitioned him to a bed, he just like, I just kept him in PJs and he was just, it's like he didn't know that that meant it was bedtime. Like he was, he was always used to the sleep suit being the last thing in his routine. And they're so, he's so routine driven. So, at the second I put this thin sleep suit on him, which basically does nothing but put his legs together, um, he lay down and like oh. was like, okay, this is the thing. So we've kept that in his step, just changed it up on on how heavy it is. But he shuffles his way to the door, opens it, calls out to me. This is in the day, so broad daylight. And I was in the shower, so I was like, I saw it happen though and I could hear it through the monitor from my phone. So I was like, okay, I'll get him in a minute. Mm-hmm. And I got out of the shower straight away, washed and dried myself went upstairs by the time I got upstairs which honestly was probably three minutes after he called out he's lying on the floor asleep 
on the carpet in broad daylight at his baby gate asleep. And I, he'd already slept for a while, but it was just way too cute to interrupt yeah. and to wake him up. So I sat there and I just read a book, just <laughs> waiting for him to wake up. And it was like one of the sweetest moments ever because I could just watch him very clearly, yeah. you know, sleeping and see his beautiful, peaceful face sleeping. It was so sweet, um, but so funny at the same time. Like he mustn't have been done, you know, but yeah. he was just like figured he'd go to the door. Um, so that's quite funny. But no, the reason I had a bit of a reaction at the start when I mentioned we we're having a Harvey update is because I just want to make sure that anyone out there that is in the thick of what some people have in the past described as the terrible twos, I don't like calling it that. I don't think they mean to, you know, they certainly don't mean to be the way that they are. They are learning. Um, but they can be real little pricks. Like, and Harvey is in a stage right now where he is truly challenging us, both myself and Josh. And yeah, really, really, our patience, like really testing our patience, um, being quite mean. Like, he's, but again, he's not meaning to be mean. He, don't, he wouldn't even know what mean means. But, um, you know, saying no a lot, being really fussy, being very demanding. Um, you know, Josh might walk into the room and he'll point back at the door and say, go, <laughs> dad, leave, go. And he's like, oh, hi, nice to see you too. Like, he's just being very, a little bit of a feral. Um, however... We're still like there's still all these like incredible special moments in between that are making up for it. But it is really hard. And for me, it's easier on me because it's a smaller percentage of my week and day, right? And so I feel like I'm coming home and whilst I might be exhausted from work, it's like my patience level hasn't been tested by Harvey yet. And so I'm getting home. Josh is like absolutely at his wits end, like needs to go for a walk or just do something, get out of the house. And I'm ready to take it on. So I just, I want to send my love out to anyone, especially if you're the primary carer at home, because I know it is that much more challenging on you. Um, and just to ensure that, you know, you are speaking up about it with your partner. And I really hope that they are respectfully taking it on and doing whatever they can to support and step in whenever they can. Because what I don't like hearing is when I hear of a parent complaining about how their day has gone with being at home with their child and that the working parent is like you you wouldn't even know what hard work is or you like I've been at work today's been stressful too right because it's like you're both their parent you know at the end of the day and sometimes you really need to tap out and you need your partner to step in and of course I'm talking about people who have a partner the people who do it solo you are like everyone's heroes like because the way that you push through and you expand literally as a human to be able to be that person that can that can handle it all, like it's it's pretty incredible. So just know that um, every toddler's a psycho. <laughs> it's completely normal um, and we're all in it together and p- please reach out whenever you need. I'm very open to, you know, DMs about psycho toddlers and um, just bonding with you all because I think for me it, it, it does get to points where you do start to question if you're doing the wrong thing, if you're parenting them in the wrong way, you start to think like is there anything more I can do? Um, but I think to a point it's just a phase that they go through and a phase of learning that they have to go through. Um, 
and we will be okay. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say, I saw your post on Instagram the other day, the video of you putting your head in Harvey's lap. Oh, yeah. It was honestly the most beautiful thing that I've ever seen in my entire life. I saw it and I was like, this is why people have kids. But then hearing the raw, rude reality shock of the reality of actually having a kid is like, oh, there is light and shade there. That's parenthood in a nutshell Mm -hmm. is the two parallels of it being completely overwhelming and the most challenging thing you will ever do, but then the most like rewarding and beautiful thing that you'll ever do as well. Like those two things live in parallel on the daily as a parent. So yeah, as I'm saying this, it's like that moment was so special. Like I melted, melted. And they do happen. Those kind of things happen every day and you get those little reminders. I mean, there is days like Josh has told me recently, um, you know, where he feels like he is doing everything, obviously, for this child. He's he's doing absolutely everything and he's not feeling like he's getting anything back. And that's really hard. As human beings, we are like Mm -hmm. wired to like want some sort of response or like some sort of whether it's a thank you or like they do something nice in return. Like that's just something innately in us. So um, we're not always going to get that from our kids. Like toddlers, sure. Teenagers, I know for sure I didn't return the favor. Um, So I think it's just something that you have to, it's, you have to be aware of it, that that's a thing. So as you said, Lindsay, yes, there is beautiful moments. There is also very challenging moments, <laughs> but we're all in it, in the thick of it together and we can do it. We can do it. Um, but speaking of being in the thick of it and, and wanting to make sure that you do feel seen and heard and that, you know, something that you're going through your feelings towards it is absolutely valid. Today's topic is a really important one. We have the incredible Julie Bornenkoff, who is a clinical psychologist and the CEO of Panda. Perinatal Anxiety and Depression Australia supports mental health of parents and families during pregnancy and kind of beyond, like within their first year of parenthood. Um, They operate Australia's only national perinatal mental health helpline for individuals, their families, support people and healthcare providers. Their vision is a world where perinatal mental health is understood and valued. And there is some really incredible resources on their website. Um, We speak to Julie about um, a number of different things. For me, I was really interested in in learning the difference between prenatal depression and anxiety and how common it was, but also really wanted to talk about intrusive thoughts with her because I had intrusive thoughts. Um, I didn't have them to the point where they were completely, you know, taking me away from my life and then debilitating my lifestyle in any way, but they were intrusive, that's for sure. And I've been seeing a lot more online, a lot more people talking about it and kind of normalizing some of these thoughts. And I found it really fascinating the way that Julie kind of broke down why they do arise and what they are and kind of what's normal. So um, if you feel like that's going to be fascinating for you, please listen in. Um, And I hope that you get as much out of this podcast as I do. And I also just wanted to send my love to anyone who is truly in the thick of it right now. Um, And I would absolutely recommend Panda um, to reach out to them, whether it's online or through their helpline. We'll put all of the information in the show notes. Um, So sending all my love to you. And here's my chat with Julie. Julie, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. To talk about such an important topic. Um, I've heard quite a lot about perinatal depression 
um, especially online, which is great. I mean, a lot of people are talking about it. Um, hopefully one day we can remove a lot of the, the stigma and shame surrounding it. Um, but today I wanted to start about talking about perinatal anxiety um, because I, I don't know as much and I haven't heard as much and I would just love to know how it differs from mm-hmm. depression. Yeah. So, when, I mean, using sort of my clinical background but yeah. also the work that we do at Panda and what we understand from the people that reach out for support, um, often when we think about anxiety and depression, it's important to understand that they can co-occur yep. so they can occur together or they can sit on other ends of a spectrum um, and they do feel really different much of the time. So anxiety is, and I often talk to people, it's that feeling of being kind of twisted up like a rubber band, like always under tension. Mm. Um, It's the moving beyond the sort of overthinking things to the point in which you're having physical responses. So um, tummies feel tight, feel like you need to wee, you know, constant kind of churning gut, heightened heart rate, can't sleep, don't feel comfortable eating because your tummy feels like it's churny. Um, And it's that really wound up feeling. Mm. It's the same throughout all stages of life. Mm. Anxiety presents in much the same way. Um, But we know for people in the perinatal period, it's really disrupted because of the kind of normal parts of being a parent, whether, Mm. you know, sleep disruption, you know, putting yourself last because Mm. you're focusing on your bubs and your family. Um, So it kind of gets a bit mixed up in those things that we try to normalise for people during this time, but it's a really yucky feeling for people who are there and lots and lots of racing thoughts and trying to solve problems that aren't necessarily there so we don't get tripped up with them and they face us. Yeah, it's it's an interesting one because I feel like for for me personally, um, prior to having my son Harvey, who's now two and a half, I wouldn't say I was an anxious person. I was Mm. pretty pretty chilled, (laughs) didn't worry too much about things. And I feel like ever since having him particularly, so I was still kind of okay throughout my pregnancy, but I was, I will caveat to say that I was very fortunate to have a very healthy pregnancy Mm. and um, with no major concerns throughout it. So that I'm sure definitely helped. But from the moment he was born, um, it was just being hyper aware of Mm. like every possible thing that Mm. could go wrong. And even to this day as a toddler, there's still things I I just think to the worst, you know, I'll be backing out the driveway, waving at him, seeing him safely like a metre away from my Mm. husband and I will see a car coming down the street and my mind goes, I better call Josh and tell him that there's a car coming, Mm. you know, just in case Harvey runs forward and and my mind goes there. Um, And that's just a a small example. But Mm. for me, I feel like, I'm, I'm able to recognize, mm. you know, when those things are happening. So I suppose some of those symptoms you were talking about that are a lot more physical, mm. I suppose, is that the point? What's the point where you do go and seek some help? Because for me, it hasn't been to the point where I haven't still lived my life, yeah. you know, and left the house. Yeah. Um, And look, it is all about individual quality of life um, and, you know, family unit impact and things. Mm. And I don't think there's a right or a wrong for community or for individuals around the time in which they seek support. But we do know from people reaching out to the helpline that nationally people generally leave it too late. And it's usually because as women we suppress those feelings and we put, yeah, 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 and we put ourselves last. So, Mm. you know, the example you just gave also it's important to recognise that as human beings, we are always avoiding uncomfortable stuff, mm. whether it's, you know, scary stuff or it's depressing stuff or it's anxious, anxiety provoking stuff. 
So it's really important to recognise that we all have those thoughts, you know, and we've just done some really cool stuff at Pandora on our website around um, intrusive thoughts, you know. So glad you brought that up. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, this is something and we do these pieces for Mm. our community because they come up time and time again and we're trying to normalise. So it is normal to have feelings that are protective Mm. around your bub or your children or your family, Um, but it's that point at which they become so pervasive that you can't focus on backing out of the driveway or you can't focus on the things you need to be attending to and that they're impacting your life more than they are benefiting your life. And, you know, for people and women Mm. especially, finding that point at which they make themselves most important, that they reach out for support, Mm. is a hard one and we recognise that. 100%. And before we jump into intrusive thoughts, because I do have questions Mm -hmm. on that, um, I would love to just know how common is perinatal depression and, and perinatal anxiety as well? Is it common for is it more common for first time parents versus second or is there is there a pattern in that or look you know we know from callers and research internationally yep. and nationally um that perinatal anxiety and depression can kind of hit at any time for some people they get through their first pregnancy without an issue and it arises in the second or the third um for others they have it at every pregnancy Mm. Um, and for many people as we know they don't experience at all but they may have had a feeling during you know the pregnancy period that something was amiss so it it doesn't really you know have a rhyme or a reason but we do know that people who have an experience of or history of trauma who have mental illness or mental health vulnerability through their pre-pregnancy life Mm. um, that they're more prone to experiencing vulnerability at this time Mm. um, because it brings up really big things for us yeah it makes me think back to um the I I went down private and um before I saw my obstetrician for the first time I had to fill out a form Mm. and it did ask me questions you know um asking about my eating disorder history Mm. or mental health and I suppose that was obviously to maybe have some flags most definitely and they're not you know I think often people get quite confronted by those questionnaires and kind of surveys but you know we do find that having an understanding of how Mm. people have both experienced and coped with life before they enter these kind of more heightened phases Mm. and parenting is one of the many um, it's really good to get a read on how people have traveled through Mm. life till then because then we can't can be a bit more predictive of the kind of care we need to wrap around people Mm. oh absolutely Okay, intrusive thoughts because <laughs> I'm just like I'm seeing it so much online at the moment and in a way that's kind of bringing a light-hearted angle to it. A lot of there's like a bit of a trend at the moment I'm seeing in, in a mum community online where they're sharing kind of different intrusive mm. thoughts that they genuinely had. Mm. And some people are having a bit of a giggle about it because I think it's making people feel seen. It certainly made me feel seen. Mm. I opened up to my husband about it the other day and I – you know, we talk about everything, yeah. everything. But I was like, I don't think I've ever told you this, but like these are genuinely things that came through my mind. Yeah. And you kind of feel shame to think like, how does my mind go there? Why does my mind yeah. go there? So what is it about that time, particularly like I suppose, especially when he was a newborn, but like even within that first year, some of the yeah random thoughts um, that would come into my mind, very intrusive thoughts. Mm. What is it? That why do they come on and, <laughs> and how do I stop? Them? How do we stop? Them? How do we manage them? Or, or or what's the point where it's like, okay, maybe talk to someone mm. if they're the kind of thoughts you're having. Yeah. So I think firstly tackling the last piece about when's <laughs> yeah. the point. Again, it goes back to when it gets in the way of you yeah, having okay. a quality of life and that's different for everybody, you know. Um, but I think, you know, intrusive thoughts are really fascinating mm. and they can happen in at any point 
point in our lives, yeah. you know. I have an 11-year-old child who's struggling with them at the moment. Mm. Um, and it's really hard to tell your brain not to think the things it comes up with. Mm. And we're taught to trust our mind and trust our flags yeah. and listen to the inner dialogue. And so trying to separate that, especially for people who are of higher intelligence, mm. is really difficult. Mm. Um, but, you know, we know there's a link between these intrusive thoughts and abstract thinking. Um, and as that evolves for young people, as they start to get more complex, you know, mm. ways of protecting themselves, um, they become more and more relevant. And that voice, being able to, you know, counteract that voice and talk down that voice um, is something that we learn from a very young age. Unfortunately, when we're sleep deprived mm. and when we're anxious and when there are all these other stresses we place on ourselves as new parents, we lose the skills to kind of dissipate them, yeah. you know. And our mind is like a net essentially, and, you know, the mesh in the net opens and closes. And when we find that we're in a period where we're more stressed or anxious, the net becomes tighter so the thoughts don't slip through yeah, and we right. feel we need to attend to them, you know, more and more. So, um, you know, working out ways to kind of de-stress, to allow yourself the reflective space to say, I may be having that thought but I don't need to attend to it, not everything I think needs attention, mm. um, is really important as a skill because that then opens up that kind of metaphorical net and allows those thoughts to move through and you not hang on them. Mm. Um, but ultimately it's remembering that the thoughts are protective, you know, and many of the thoughts, even the ones about, you know, we have parents talking about harming their babies, harming their families, mm. um, you know, all sorts of things and they're so distressing for people because that would never ever be something they would normally think about but they're about preparing you and it's your mind's way of saying if I can think this terrible thing if worst case scenario happens I'm prepared for it because I've Mm, thought about it doesn't mean it's going to happen and that's where we need to kind of learn to counteract those thoughts and and you know find peace and space and de-stress and reduce anxiety and reduce depression and all of those mental vulnerabilities whether they're clinically diagnosed or emerging bring those down so that you've got a louder voice and you trust in your inner voice more Mm. to be able to bring those thoughts down that visual visualization of that net helped mm. me so much as then because I instantly thought about I mean obviously through that postnatal period your body's under so much stress mm. emotionally and physically so I can totally understand how that would happen but it makes me think even to times since when I have been overwhelmed with stress mm. that's when those kind of thoughts mm. do kind of come to the surface again so it makes a lot of sense One, two, three, four. I would love to give space for you to share some of the support that Panda provides in case someone listening might be going through something and they're looking out to, you know, reach out to somebody. What can they expect from Panda? Great question. So Panda does offer a range of things and we are really mindful that people seek support from them at different times in their parenting journey, whether it's in preparation or when things are really thick and hard. Mm. Um, So we're most well known for our national helpline um, and that is a helpline that's available Monday to Saturday, 9am till 7.30pm Eastern Standard Time. And that helpline is manned by or not manned but is uh, staffed (laughs) by an amazing array um, of both clinical staff Mm -hmm. and peer staff and when we talk about peers they are people who are well versed in providing support through their lived experience so these are people who have had their own journey through perinatal mental vulnerability and mental ill health Um, so they work collaboratively on our helpline and callers can expect you know either or and get choice in you know when we've got availability in who they speak to. 
Um, we also have people who are paid to work on our helpline and we have volunteers. So it's a really cool mix of staff. Mm. Um, as complementary to the helpline, we have an amazing array of resources on our, mm. our website and we're so proud of the work we've done to get those resources there. So they can be provided as a backup support to people who have reached out to our helpline. They can kind of be provided as a sneaky support for people who aren't yet ready to expose that they're feeling vulnerable and can access them 24-7. Um, so, you know, you just need to go on and kind of go through the who you are in terms of I'm a mum or I'm a dad or a carer um, and kind of filter down through information. And we've got this array of both resources and fact sheets, people's lived experience, which, you know, most of the users of our website love the most. They get the most yeah. hits because they normalise your experience. Yep. Um, and then other resources that you can take and share with health professionals because we still know that so many people are not disclosing their vulnerability to the health professionals and we're wrapped with so many of them at this time. So learning to trust in what you're experiencing and share that with others is really important. Um, and we also have the mental health checklist that sits on our website and that's a 30-question checklist that was designed with um, consumers. Mm. So it's not a clinical assessment, mm. um, which quite a lot of people feel confronted by undertaking yeah. screening at this time, which, you know, screening's a great thing, but for others who want to get a pat down mentally on how they're going, uh, the checklist is 30 questions and it gives you a read on your thoughts, behaviour, and feelings okay. um, and also indicates at the end of it whether or not you'd benefit from getting support. But what's most great is that you can download the report and you can use it as a tool to put in front of somebody and you don't have to find the words to say, I'm struggling, and try to explain what it is you're feeling because the report shows them That's that. Great. Um, so people really love that. Mm. So amazing range. And then we've also got the Panda Learning Hub, which has community and health professional training on it, um, you know, and we love we had a consumer who indicated that they had directed their health professional, who they love, to the Panda Learning Hub to upskill because they didn't have a great understanding about perinatal mental vulnerability. Oh, okay. um, so recommended that they do some of the training, you know, and that that's what it's there for. It's to kind of build your community of care, to be able to share resources with mums groups, to train midwives and child mm -hmm. maternal health nurses. So we kind of have these three streams of resources, helpline and training, and that's what we love to do. Oh, it's amazing. So I'm sure, you know, even within our chat, um, there's been some, some amazing things that you've shared that have hopefully helped some of the listeners. And obviously they can head to that website to learn so much mm -hmm. more. We'll make sure we pop all the links in our show notes so that they can. Um, what I would love to finish with, because on this podcast particularly, we have a lot of listeners who aren't pregnant. Mm. They're not even at their phase in their life where they're trying. Mm. Um, you know, there's a huge percentage of them that are just really fascinated and interested. Um, and there might be some listening in who have a loved one mm. that maybe they are concerned about in any way. And I'd love for you to share something that maybe they can do to help if they've seen any sort of red flags, maybe they've identified mm. some of the things we've been talking about today. How do they approach their loved one? Um, what's the best way to do that? And I know sometimes that comes down to personal, you know, who that person is, um, but what do you guys suggest as the best way to approach someone who you might think is going through mm. either perinatal anxiety or depression? Look, you know, I think everybody does have personal styles of how they pick up these things and, mm. and get scared about having big conversations. Um, but we know that, you know, if you feel it, do it. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, the flags that we have and the feelings we sit with as people who support loved ones um, can sit there and churn and, you know, you, you create your own you know, um, dysregulation in mm -hmm. trying to find that right time. Relationships are all about 
being able to say, hey, how are you going? Yeah. You know, first and foremost. Or if you know something's really in me saying, you know, it looks like you're having a rough time. Mm. And that's all you need to be able to say. And I think as human beings, we often enter into conversations feeling like we need to be able to fix, fix it everything. to start it. Yeah. Um, guilty of that. Yeah. <laughs> Same. Um, you know, and I think it's really important that we just know that just recognizing and seeing that somebody's not traveling is often the mirror they need, you know, and the kind of affirming piece mm. of, I don't feel right. Something feels yucky in my tummy. And now mm. my best mate saying, Hey, are you okay? They see it too. Mm. Maybe I need to do something. And we know from callers on the helpline and in general help seeking that it's often those friends reflecting or family members saying, You know, you're not yourself. That was the turning yeah, point. Yeah, that was a turning point in which they actually felt heard, seen, reaffirmed, and thought, No, I actually do need to put myself first. So, um, you know, friends are allies in this journey, you know, and I think often being equipped simply to have the conversation and know that you don't have to fix it and whatever you say in that conversation can be mended down the track if Mm -hmm. something does go wrong in having it. Um, Knowing that there are supports like pandas to be able to back you up and direct something to is is enough, Mm -hmm. Um, but not leaving it too long. You know, we're really good as human beings for not having conversations that we know we should have, um, even though there are no shoulds in life. Um, You know, and I think just reaching out and being there and calling it. When you started saying that, I I reflected on, and and it's not perinatal anxiety or depression, it was actually a friend of mine who went through an eating disorder um, when she was young, but I remember her telling me about her turning point and her her mom and her sister had brought it up so many times mm. with her, but they'd done it in a way that was kind of identifying the issue straight up mm. and telling her what she was doing was wrong. Mm. And I think going into fixing mode because they were so deeply mm. concerned, obviously, it's always come from a place of concern and love. But the moment there was a turning point for her was when her dad walked into her bedroom one night and was teary mm. and said, I miss you and how are you and what's going on? Mm. Like, you know, was just there to listen and yeah. to share that, he just missed her. Yeah. Like, that was it. And, like, for her that was a very emotional time but yeah. also the point where she was like, okay, mm. something's really wrong. It's and, you know, we often, now. Yeah. <laughs> and we often talk about target people, mm. you know, and when especially in the mental health space we know that, you know, we as individuals allocate roles to people. Yeah. And so, you know, as she was saying, her mum and her sister had had that conversation but mm. she expected them to have that conversation. So she always kind of dis- you know, diluted it when, when it was had and, and put it aside. Whereas when people act outside those norms yeah. and aren't those target people in our life, so friends are a great example, mm. then what they say hits, yeah. you know, what they say means something because it's not the norm. Mm. Oh, just fantastic advice. And um, just want to take the moment to say thank you for everything that you guys do. I think it's incredible. And, you know, the more that we can have these conversations and share um, so that people don't feel like they're going through alone or don't feel like they have to suffer in silence mm. and um, do reach out and get the help they need. It's just so important. Oh, thank you. And, you know, thanks for having the conversation. Again, it's what changes lives and normalises this time as being a really big one, but one you don't have to go through mm. alone. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks. <laughs>
Thank you for joining, guys. Hope you enjoyed that chat. If you would like more info, you can check out our show notes of the episode. And if you would like to get involved with the KickPod, you can find us on Instagram at KickPod. Send us a voice note or DM or question there, and we'll be posting all our videos and behind the scenes on that KickPod Insta too. So you can show your support by giving us a follow. And if you would like to join a bit of a virtual mothers group, is what we like to call it. We have our Kick Bump Facebook group. So you're all welcome. Welcome there. Uh, There's so much love and support in that group. It's something that I'm very proud to be a part of and we would love to have you. If you would like to learn more about Kik, you can head to our website, kickapp.com, or you can head to the Apple Store and Google Play Store. And if you'd like to join Kik, we have a seven-day free trial. We will be back in your ears very shortly. Bye. (laughs) Bye.